Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to move your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and I'm actually right now standing in Chicago. We just completed the Renew My Church conference, and it was such an exciting experience for the entire Divine Renovation team. We had several talks over, over multiple days, and at first we expected only, only 1,800 people to show, which seemed like a lot of people. And suddenly the numbers grew to 2,000, 2,100, 2,200. And last number I heard was there was 2,000. 2,700 people here at this event. It was such a good event that we wanted to take this week's podcast and, and take some time just to share with you one of the talks that was given. Please enjoy. One of the things Ron went over with, with us all earlier today when he was up on stage, he talked about the three key characteristics of divine renovation. And the second of those was the best of leadership principles. The very best of leadership. So before we, before we started the session, I wanted to, to get you all to do something with me. I'm about to tell you something that might come as a shock to some of you. Others, you already know this. But the reality is, you are all leaders. You are all leaders, because leadership is influence, and each and every one of you has influence. So I'm going to ask you to, to do a deep, breathe, a deep breath in and a deep breath out in just a moment as you either recognize, perhaps for the very first time, that you are a leader, that you are a leader in the church. And perhaps you've been aware of this for a long time. Maybe you know and you've been carrying that mantle of leadership and you feel the weight of that leadership, the responsibility that's been put upon you as a leader in the church. And so as you breathe in and breathe out, I want you to, to, to recognize the weight, but also to release it to Jesus so that he can carry it alongside you. So on the count of three, I want us to do the biggest inhale you can possibly manage. One, two, three. <gasps> I feel better, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I'm excited to, to invite uh, some of my friends up on stage. Uh, one of the great things about the guys I'm about to invite up, they have all been leaders in their parishes. They've all been part of parishes that have led renewal, have, have turned themselves around, have moved from maintenance to mission. And not only that, each and every single one of these guys is now actually helping other parishes do the same through the Divine Renovation Network. So I'm going to invite up Rob McDowell, Kurt Clement, Bill Presbich, and Ron Huntley. Come on up, guys. So, guys, I'm eager to have a conversation about the renewed model of leadership, and I'm hoping that you'll lean into some of the stories and experiences that you've each had, either in your parish or in the parishes that you've worked with around the world. Uh, so I think one of the key things that we wanted to talk about was what it was like to lead from vision rather than busyness. What do you mean when you say that? So you lead from vision rather than busyness. What do you mean? It's a need to have a clear picture. So vision allows us to have a clear picture of what it's like to move forward as a parish and a life-giving, God-honoring church. And I don't think that always comes easy. So have you ever had an experience or are you aware of parishes that have struggled with this? Bill, I, I love your perspective on this because you guys completely changed your paradigm in the last year. Um, from what you'd been doing for a long time and you step back from what you were doing because after a while we take it for granted, right? We've just been doing this for a long time so we forget to ask why. And, and you guys went through a process where you asked why. And so why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks, Ron. Um, 
So our parish, Christ the King, um, we're, we're a very active parish um, in many, many wonderful characteristics about it. But over time, we had sort of lost our outward focus, and we had realized that we had, um, we're known as a parish that has a lot of missionary disciples in it, but uh, the reality was uh, many of that was a more of a historical accident rather than being intentional about creating missionary disciples. And so as a senior leadership team, we sat down and we looked at all the activities that were going on in the church, and we realized there were really wonderful activities, but there were, when you really kind of step back from looking at it as a new person, it was very difficult because there were so many things that was very confusing to a new person on sort of what to do next. And so we really took a kind of a critical look and said, what, what, is, what, what is a good discipleship process? How can we communicate that well to people? How can we really kind of get behind them and help them so they would know how to plug in and understand? And, and what that, what it, one of the results of that was there was a whole lot of busyness in our parish. Some things were helpful. Some things were not particularly helpful. But a very complicated schedule, a lot of time invested in different kinds of things, and it sort of made us take a step back and sort of simplify things, and it's really helped us to be more focused and more intentional. Mm. And so as you guys were doing that, Bill, you, you kind of addressed who your core customer was, and you shifted that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Boy. Thanks, Ron, for the question. That's good, great question. I'm, I'm remembering back to those times. Yeah, so we, we looked at our vision and our mission as a parish uh, a couple years ago, and we realized that we were, for the most part, we were very attractive to other Catholics in our area that were looking for more in their faith. And basically what it boiled down to was we were more or less sheep stealing. I, mean, I don't need to say that in a really good uh, negative way. But... Um, we, we said, there's something about this that's not quite right, because we weren't reaching out to people that were far off from the Lord, or people who had fallen away from their faith, our kids, that sort of thing. And we, we really, we came together as a team and prayed about it, thought about it, and we said, and we, we also launched Alpha at the same time. So there was something going on in our parish that we wanted to recognize. And as we did that, we said, who is our primary customer? So it's kind of management kind of thinking, but I think it could be very helpful for churches as well. And we, and we decided that rather than being a, sort of focused on being attractive to other Catholics, what we really ought to be doing is uh, uh, being a good home for people who are seeking authentic uh, or meaning in their life and authentic relationships. And so it's a pretty big sea change shift in our thinking. And, uh, and therefore, and as we did that and about 18 months ago, it really has helped kind of, again, kind of help focus what it is that we're doing, what we should be doing, why are we doing certain things, where do we sort of put our investment, put our time into. So, It's beautiful. And one of the things I want you guys to know about the church that, that Bill uh, has been a part of for a long time is uh, they're recognizing Sherry Waddell's book as the ultimate church for making disciples. And so that's the best church in your country, uh, based on what Sherry Waddell believes and thinks is, is making missionary disciples, recognizing they needed help. So is there a chance that maybe some other churches need help? The, um, the early story of St. Benedict, 
it had a lot of busyness happening. Can you, can, you, can you express what that was like back at those times? Yeah, with Father James, Father James uh, always, you know, his philosophy early on was more is better. And uh, he used this phrase, you know, we used to try anything and we'd throw it against the wall and see if it would stick. And, uh, and so early on, there was just all kinds of activities uh, going, or in all kinds of ministries. I think when I first started, there was 90-some ministries uh, that was going on. I, don't re- I got tired of counting after a while, so I don't even know if I knew what amount that was. But so often what we do is like, oh, wow, it's busyness. And, and we, th- we equate busyness with success. You know, and it's like, how are things going? Well, I'm busy, you know, and Ron sort of raised that, that point this morning. So it's so easy to think a parish has life when it, when it has activity and busyness. And, you know, because busyness engages our adrenaline and gets us going, and, and we spend so much time kind of on the treadmill not really thinking, is it actually making a difference? And so for us, we had to, you know, we had to kind of pull back and think through, okay, what's What's actually taking place? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, and you know, there's a number of different things. But in, in a parish for evangelism to take place, it just can't be something that you start doing. Evangelization needs a disproportionate amount of energy. Amen. And so you know, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, well, we've got, we've got you know, let's say we even get 10 ministries. And so we're going to put 10% of our resources in evangelism. You're not going to be evangelistic. You're going to need to put 30 or 40% of your resources in evangelistic and decide, give less resources to the rest or decide not to do two or three things. And so, because you think of everything we do in the church, um, if there's anything uh, that we're going to face the most resistance from the enemy about, it's going to be evangelism. He'll discourage the rest, but he, he, he absolutely does whatever he can to put a stop to evangelism. And so it takes so much more time and energy, so much more focus. A friend of mine one time said, you know, we're going to get to do all the stuff in heaven that we do in the church except evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> so let's prioritize evangelism now, and we'll have all of eternity to do the rest. <laughs> you know, and... And so I think that's, that's kind of the mindset that we, have to, uh, that we have to come at with this. We have to need to, to think in terms of how do we, how do we evangelize? What is, what's the energy that's going to take? And then how can we, dispropor- how can we uh, proportion the rest of our resources from there? And busyness also can distract us from, 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 the core, from the core responsibility, from the core reality. Uh, will you, I've got a short story. Can I tell a short story? Will you indulge sure. me a little bit here? Do you guys know the story of Cyril Evans? So Cyril Evans, uh, he's a, a radio operator uh, in 1912 on the SS Californian. And um, so Cyril Evans, is, he's, he's floating through, through the ocean uh, on, on the SS Californian, and he recognizes that there's a lot of ice in the water. And so what does he do? He hops on the radio to let nearby ships know. One of the nearby ships was the Titanic. And Phillips was the radio operator on the Titanic. Now, the, 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 Titanic, the Titanic, of course, had a lot of passengers. And Phillips, being the radio operator, was absolutely swamped with these messages that he was responsible for sending back to shore. And he was very, very busy. And so what happens was Evans lets him know there's ice coming. And what does, what does Phillips say? He sends a message back, shut up. He was too busy to deal with it. He was too busy to deal with the reality. And so what happens is Evans then shuts off his radio in disgust, walks away, and of course, 10 minutes later, the Titanic strikes the iceberg. 
10 minutes later. He was too busy. Phillips was too busy to deal with the warning sign. Well, that makes me think about, you know, how we're busy and even in our parish as we were trying to, I mean, part of my role as the director of evangelization was trying to stoke uh, discontent so that people saw we needed to change. It was, you know, okay, but that was kind of over there. That was Kurt and the evangelization thing. But the thing that shifted it for us was we attended a conference together, and all the leadership caught the vision together, and then we began to change. I mean, I think about all of you all here. You know, sometimes you have a few people, they get a hold of a book, and they're trying to get the word out, but like just the saturation and the number of people that are catching this vision, because... It is. It's the vision, like Father James so beautifully articulates, is the vision of a renewed parish. That our parishes aren't just an outpost for the Catholics in a given area to gather to receive their sacraments, but little else. This vision of a parish as a missionary outpost to all. You know that sacraments don't need to just be centers of mediocrity which most, oftentimes they are. And and our parish still is very much. When we were called up, they said, these guys have made the journey from maintenance to mission. I was like, yeah, well, we've begun to make the shift from maintenance to mission. And if you were to put us on the the continuum of where we are on that, we would probably be very, very much on the side of maintenance, but we're, it's a culture change. I mean, how many decades and centuries, the whole history of how the identity of Catholic parishes and maintenance and, um, you know, immigration, childbirth, that was our evangelization program, have more children and bring in the, the, the immigrants, right? So parishes, we become a certain thing, a certain culture, and to change that culture takes a long time. We are in our third year and we're just starting to see some movement around where I'm seeing not just me and a few people, but all of the other people on our staff are starting to take up and own the vision for themselves to say, hey, how can we rethink our baptismal preparation program? How can we rethink our children's ministry and first communion program so we're not just running through people through the sacramental conveyor belt? So we're just starting to get traction. And, and so, you know, just to kind of say, but it all began with the vision, a vision of a renewed parish that a parish can be more. They can be centers of life, people experiencing life change, dynamic community, those things that used to be just in the movements and in other communities. But that, that's, a parish can be that. That's our vision. So having the vision is, is, is everything. I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about the difference between our, our methods and our mission, because our mission, our mission is eternal, but our methods, we often think that our methods are eternal, that, that the way that we do things is the way it's always been. And, but when you start scratching the surface, you quite quickly discover, well, no, no, you know, just go back 60 years or, or 100 years, and, and our, our methodologies were completely different. So what are some of the methodologies that you, you, you had in, in your parishes that you, you kind of looked at and thought, well, maybe that's not the core. Maybe we need to, to focus more on the mission. You know, just a small thing, and uh, you guys are going to give better responses to this than I will, but, you know, I, I've even noticed, 
I just picked up on this, and I'm not saying I'm right, but a couple of times when I saw Marco doing the emceeing, he apologized for the screens. And I thought, hmm, I wonder why he's doing that. Do some people get offended that there's screens during Mass? Because the answer is yes. Um, but I thought to myself, you know, Father James often talks about, you know, stained glass windows. People didn't read. They weren't literate, you know, hundreds of years ago. And that stained glass window told a story visually. And it was spectacular. It wasn't mediocre. It was spectacular. And you take a look at incense and lights. Talk about smoke and mirrors. Like, I mean, it was a production. And it was a wow factor when you'd go into a church and experience this stuff. But our popular culture's changed, and it's not necessarily a wow factor anymore. But we didn't always have that stuff. And so what's the next level of really connecting with the people in the pews or the people that will come through the doors. How do we connect with them? Not, you know, should we have screens or shouldn't we have screens? That's the wrong conversation. The conversation, the question has to be, how do we connect with people to change their lives? Not what your preferences are, for heaven's sakes. I don't know. That's just my rant, but what do you guys think? Well, I think having that mindset of imagine that you're a new person coming into this environment and that you've never been exposed to Catholicism before. I mean, I think, which is your point, I think, Ron, or an illustration of exactly what that is, I think that can be incredibly helpful. There's so many things that we just assume as Catholics that this is normal. And there's just so many things around the environment and the way we greet people and whether we're greeting and welcoming, and it just goes on and on and on. So I think is in terms of the methods, you know, I think that's one of the things to look at. Maybe that's a cultural issue as well. But there's just so many practices that we have as Catholics that if you're a new person coming into it, it can be very daunting. And so it's, it's good to try to have that perspective. Sometimes we can't give that perspective ourselves. Sometimes it's really good to say, hey, Mr. New Person, what's your experience here? You know, how, how are you experiencing that? And, and take it to heart and learn from it. You know, another issue that puts the hair up on the pe- back of people's necks in, in, in our tradition is music. And, you know, I was asked to speak in Australia to a youth uh, rally. Actually, they have it every month, so it's more like they're either, I think about 600 young people there. And they're rocking it out, man, like full-on band and all young people, too, just filling the stage, praising God, praising their faces off and dancing. And, so, and all the lyrics were Christian. It was so beautiful. And I think, you know, music connects with people. And we didn't always have an organ like that. Jesus didn't go to church and listen to an organ. And so, and I'm not saying, I know there's sacred music and things like that. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but I'm saying that's another method. And if the mission is reaching people and bringing people to a place of surrendering, you know, worshiping, another term for that might be surrendering. We're trying to help people surrender. I need to surrender over and over and over again. And music helps me do that. And there's preferences with music. And that's why at Divine Renovation, we have a diversity of different musical styles. We acknowledge that. But we don't take one type of music. Like, what do people expect when, you know, because it might, might surprise us, but people aren't listening to choral music with, with organs on their iPods in high school and university. And so they come to church and it just doesn't speak to them. And so it's a method. But what's our mission? 
And then we complain that we don't have any of those people. Well, it's because we, what we do doesn't relate to them. A story uh, along with that. I was in a coffee shop on a Saturday night one time. And there was a couple people from a neighboring parish. And it was interesting. They had a conversation. And they talked about these uh, new priests coming in and changing everything. And they changed the music. And they were starting to use the organ less. And within 45 seconds, they said, I don't know why they're changing the music. It's not like young people come anyways. <laughs> and and, and, I, and with all of me, I had just had to stay there because they didn't have a clue in the world who I was. They didn't know I worked at a Catholic church. And, uh, but, but I just wanted to say, did, did you just connect those two thoughts? And I just wanted to like say it back to them because I thought maybe if they actually heard it again, they would see how illogical what they were saying was. Yeah, it, you know, it's a part of, for us, as we've embarked upon this journey, it's giving uh, all of our staff permission to try things, to innovate, even permission to fail, and that just the status quo just isn't um, acceptable in our current culture. You know, I started in youth ministry 22 years ago, and, uh, and I look back and think, if I were to start youth ministry right now, would I do what I did then, which was a shifting from a classroom model to kind of like life teen type of style. I mean, we really went all in, you know, big, large group gathered, a game and worship music and great talks and small groups. So it was just really high quality, high impact, a lot of big events. Now, our youth ministry to this day has, has um, been really fruitful, but we're starting to see its fruitfulness, you know, is, it's shifting because the culture has changed so much. And we've had to really un- release them from the expectation of having this big full room of youth like we've always had it. Like, we want to give you permission to break free and not be married to any particular method. Because what is needed now and going to be needed moving forward is going to be is different than what was needed 20 years ago. I mean, it's just so palpable. I remember when I was in the 90s, early 90s, when I was really getting into my faith, you know, the apologetics. It was like all the books and, and tapes, cassettes, you know, there's this groundswell of like getting renewed in your love for the Catholic faith, you know, in a certain style of and I just think about now, um, and then my work with Alpha, and just learning to listen to people, and what evangelization, and just the culture shift. Just, just the, like, like Father uh, James said yesterday, we're not, uh, quoting from Pope Francis, we're not undergoing an era of change, but the change of an era that is so significant that if we're doing what we were doing 10 years ago, we're most likely trending down, and we have to rethink everything. One of the things that, that um, you guys coach into, and one of the things you apply in your own parishes, is to prioritize people over tasks. Rob, why don't you, you help me understand what you mean when you're, you say prioritize the people over the tasks? You know, it connects what we are saying earlier, vision versus busyness. And, uh, you know, so often we, we just allow ourselves to get busy and then we think, well, this has to get done, this has to get done, this has to get done. And, you know, rather than recognize that part of the discipleship process is helping people to grow. And so, again, like we're trying to turn our leadership upside down, we turn, we turn our focus upside down. So instead of saying, okay, I need 10 people and, to get this task done, well, then let's rethink the task and say, okay, how can I help these 10 people grow 
by accomplishing this task or change the task if it's not helping people grow, right? And so, uh, you know, the, the, the old phrase is, don't use people to build your church, use your church to build up your people. And so begin to think through uh, the difference that that, that makes. And so it, it switches from, I see you as an individual, I see your potential, I see your strengths, I see how God is active in your life, and I want to help uh, be a source of grace in that to help that to flourish. And, and this is what I'd love to see you do. And do you see that? And then you, you, you partner with them, and you agree with them, rather than we've got these 82 things and we need everybody to sign up. And it doesn't matter if you're good at it. and doesn't matter if you enjoy it. And, you know, the, in fact, the harder it is, the more will prove that you love Jesus. So go out there. <laughs> you know, all the apostles suffered for their faith and died. So, you know, you can, you can certainly sign up and work with kids for a couple hours a week, can't you? Come on, get out there. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's the... That tends to be the mentality that we have. Uh, you know, instead of let's pull back and see how do we help people grow and develop and then let's shape our church around that. It changes the way we lead. When I sit down with uh, the people that I was responsible for supporting in the pastoral ministry team, and there were several, I think there was maybe five of them that I was responsible for supporting, and, and that language matters a lot. You know, it's not who reports to you, it's who are you responsible to support. Change your language, because it changes the way you look at people. And I would tell people, you don't work for me, I work for you. And it's my responsibility. So here's what I want for people. If you work at St. Benedict Parish, I want this to be the most exciting time of your life. I want this to be so much fun that you jump out of bed on Monday mornings. Well, I, I want you to look back in this time in your life and say, I was never closer to Christ. I never had more, more fun. I was never more fruitful at building up the kingdom of God. That's what I want for you. That's my job. And so I'm going to work with you in whatever your area of responsibility is to help you be great. I work for you. Because people come before tasks. You know, Curtis Martin said something one time in a talk, and it really resonated with me. He said, you know what? Jesus loved St. John before St. John ever wrote his gospel. And that's why St. John was able to write the gospel. It's not what you do, it's who you are. And if I don't love you for who you are, then I'm using you. And yet everybody knows it. And so check your motives at the door and ask, what's more important to me, tasks or people? And the answer needs to be people. I remember when we started to embrace the divine renovation um, and like join the network, I was initially like so excited because like, all right, now there's, we're going to get real, real momentum. Like everyone's going to see, see it my way. You know, like we have the green light to press forward with all these strategies that I feel like because I know that will help move our parish forward. Now, fast forward about two months after we had our first, like, our leadership team, and Ron led our team, this is a, a five of us, through that same kind of exercise on the whiteboard. And he said, okay, on a scale of one to 10, where would you put yourselves? One being highly toxic, you know, or 10 being you love, everybody loves their job, or you guys, you're talking about just us as a team, uh, 10 being incredibly healthy. Where would you put yourself? So we all wrote it down. He's like, okay, and I'll share it to the group. And uh, the average for our leadership team was 4.5. And he basically said, I don't have much. I, 
kind of like drop the mic and I got to go. You guys better figure that out because we have, there's no work that we can do to move forward until you get that right. Like what are the elephants in the room? Um, because at that level of dysfunction, because culture is the soil, like you guys have to, um, you know, have, figure out who you need to go to lunch with, who you need to have some crucial conversations with, who do you need to forgive, who do you need to ask forgiveness from. Like you have to hit the reset button and figure out what you need to do to, to, to start afresh um, before we can actually move forward. So, you know, for me, I quickly realized that it wasn't just about tasks and strategies, parish renewal. It is about people. It's about really learning to love these people that I work with and learning my own blind spots and how I kind of like Ron. I mean, I'm kind of like a bulldozer, you know, bull in a china shop uh, as I look back of the, you know, broken things over the years of me, you know, trying to lead forward. You know, I've had to learn my own um, blind spots and, and but my own strengths and learning the strengths of the people that I work with and how to lead out of teams, you know, how to find people who balance me out to get the right people to really work together and lead out of teams. That really has been crucial for us, you know, is not just focus on getting tasks done, but really how we empower people and balance our strengths um, in teams to work together to come up with ideas way more than any of us could ever do individually. As I look out into the audience, guys, I, I, I see a lot of people who I think are capable of doing a lot of really cool things. But one of the things that we, we talk about is the difference between doing and leading. And so I, I think it's really important to drive home the, what we mean when we say that, because I don't think it's always apparent or understandable. So help me understand, how do we understand that, that the, the divide between the doers of ministry and the leaders of ministry? One of the biggest shifts that we had to make, and, and Rob, you'll remember this, Rob and I were on the leadership team since its inception at St. Benedict with Father James, but we had to transition our staff from doers to leaders, because if you know, we're all a room full of lay people, you're probably hired because you're good at something. You know, maybe you went to school to learn it, to develop some, some profession so that you could execute in the parish. And so you get really good at doing it. But the problem is, and I can tell right now, just by looking at you guys, you guys have the same problem. You only have 168 hours a week. And so there's only so much you can do. And in leadership, you're either a bottleneck or you're a bottle opener. And if you're doing all the, if you're too busy doing that you don't have time to intentionally raise up others, you're a bottleneck. And that's a problem. And so at St. Benedict, our staff, we had to help them change their paradigm from doers to leaders to teach them how to identify others of capacity, to recruit them, to equip them, to empower them, and to support them. And there's a whole process around that that we teach into. Uh, but you can't just say, go do it, because people don't know how. They don't know how. We're, we're, most of us are really good at doing. But we'll never, your church, your parish, will never reach its redemptive potential if all you do is do. <laughs> you and I need to learn how to lead. And that's different from doing. And it takes a transition. You'll always have to do some stuff. 
But we must lead. I mean, geez, I, heard, I saw the statistics. 40% of the churches in, in Chicago don't even have a single pastoral staff person. So if we don't figure out how to lead, we're in big trouble. Before we came here to, to Chicago, we were doing a leadership summit at St. Benedict Parish. And I know, Rob, you gave up and gave a talk at that one. And uh, I, I actually think of, of two leadership uh, summits ago. Maybe it was three leadership summits ago. So our leadership summits uh, are an opportunity for us to pull together all the ministry leads and, and people very active in ministry across St. Benedict Parish. We average, what, about 100 or so leaders, something like that, 100 and 120, something like that. And uh, I can remember, it was uh, I think it was Father Simon who, who asked the room at the time, how many of you were parishioners here three years ago? And only half of the room. The rest were all new leaders, leaders that had been raised up through the leadership pipelines that St. That Benedict has. And it's just, it, it, for me, it was such a profound moment to recognize that these are the people who are leading the ministry, and, and they weren't even parishioners three years ago? Like, that, that to me blew my mind. Well, and Dan, to your point, I just had a meeting on Friday. I helped support the, the men's leadership gym, and that stands for God, you, and me. We don't physically exercise. It's, it's an ungodly time in the morning. It's just a miracle we get up. Uh, but there's about 30 guys that gather every week, and probably about 65 of us on that come and go every Friday morning. But anyway, they wanted to get together with the leaders to talk about a particular issue, and they always get me to come in because I started it. And anyway, I sat in... And they came in and sat down. I looked beside me, and there's Robert. He wasn't even a believer three years ago. Like, not, forget parishioner. He was an atheist three years ago, and now he's leading this group of men. And then I look across from me, and I'm looking at Serge. Well, Serge is a scientist. He knew there was a God because it's mathematically impossible for this to exist. Uh, so he knew there was a God, but he didn't understand this Jesus thing and certainly didn't understand the church. And here's one of the other leaders. And I'm thinking, I love this place. This is crazy. You know, they've fallen head over heels in love with Jesus, surrendered their lives, diving into the richness of our Catholic faith and willing to, to lead. Uh, just like that. It's beautiful. We don't need to send people off to get degrees. They're, they're helpful. But, but to run your parish and to have things thrive, you, you, don't need a, you don't need academic education to do that. You need a heart that's transformed by Jesus Christ and a willingness to say yes. And so there's lots of people in that want to do that, and we need to unleash them. Part of it's a mentality issue of our, you know, our mindset, and the other is kind of having processes for not just doing, but raising up leaders. Um, and the mentality is just that it's always it's easiest just to do many of the times you know I for instance am a part of one of our connect groups it's just a beautiful model these mid-sized group my wife and I and another couple now I was a youth minister for 18 years so like I know icebreakers I can just kind of step into giving a talk facilitating and and so we would come up to the next connect group and because I wasn't intentional I would just kind of say, I got it, you know, it's just easier to do it um, versus the mindset of saying my job isn't to do is, is to empower others, you know, and to take the time and identifying the people in our connect group and saying, hey, you know, we, we talk about I see in you conversations. You know, it's a different of like, how do we recruit volunteers? What's the old mirror test? You know, we look for volunteers. Well, how do I know if I'm okay? Well, you do the mirror test. If you put a mirror under the nose, if it fogs up, you're in. You, you guys heard that one? 
So the opposite of that is learning how to have I see in you conversations. You know, I see in you your faith and your enthusiasm and your ability to articulate that. You know, would you give the, the message this next time? Um, or would you lead the icebreaker and empowering people? So, um, it's, so it's just a mindset that just says, I'm going to be not the hero, but I'm going to be about the business of being a hero maker. And uh, there's a book called That Hero Maker. It's really good about all these principles of leadership pipelines. But the other is a process like evangelization, like tied to like alpha where you have ways that you're raising up. And that's where all the new people there, you said what percent were new. A lot of them had come through their evangelization engine, if you will. That's the, the pump of the pipeline is evangelization and that gives you new people to invite into leadership so without evangelization in some form it, it, you're, you know you're kind of recycling kind of the same people all the time there's not a, there's not that freshness and newness of people um is is fr as freely as, as can be focusing on your existing leaders as well and i'm at I think the pipeline is fantastic, and, and we're doing that, and I love that. But I, I was just thinking, reflecting back on the structure, when you put it, flip it over, and we're supporting the people, part of that is looking at all the ministries and making sure that they're being supported. I mean, I, I think that was one of the things about our parish, and, and as I've worked with other parishes, it's very true, is they're very siloed, typically, and they're not well-connected with each other, with the leadership, and they're not being supported very well. They feel very much like they're on their own. And that was a big mind shift for our parish, is to be able to actually put this structure together. Where we're, who are we supporting? And it, and it was a real big change for our pastor. I think I shared a little bit yesterday. His vision was just hire people and just let them go, do their thing. And so he is meeting regularly with six key leaders in our parish and pouring into them and developing them well, it doesn't just apply to him. It applies to the other part of our leadership team, to our directors, to the ministry leaders, to the, you know, it just goes all the way up. So the idea of leading out of a team, it sort of cascades. It starts with the senior leadership team, but then we have the various team, ministry teams, facilities, et cetera, et cetera, and we pour into those leaders so that they can pour into their teams and be raising up leaders and also, and, and another just very small point, but I think a very important one is part of this leadership pipeline is working with your ministry leaders to create entry-level positions that you can invite people into, you know? It's so much easier to say, if Rob's new to my church, you know, Rob, I see a gift in you. You know, you're really good at, you have real compassion for people or whatever it might be. And we have a ministry over here. And, you know, if you go and serve like once a week or uh, an hour every couple of weeks, you know, why don't you go and try it out and get involved with that ministry? And it, and it helps Rob to discern his gifts. Yeah, I've got a passion about this. And you get really involved with it. So it's sort of like creating space for these new people to have a place and then grow in their leadership and, and you get this multiplication. One of the things, too, we want to recognize, because, again, we're talking about what it looks like to empower people, uh, you know, on kind of in, in roles of direct influence. But we also want to empower people in roles of indirect influence, so people that are the, behind the scenes. And this is a way to build them up, you know. And I think of, I was on the operations side of things. Ron was more on the ministry side, so administration, building, all this stuff fell underneath me. And so it's not about we try to get everybody into to public roles. We try to get everybody in roles that they're gifted at. And, you know, it's, I, I love, you know, when you look at people that were, 
uh, skilled tradespeople and all that sort of stuff, and you tell them, say, you know what, you're going to help us maintain the building in such a way that that it's it looks nice. And the first impressions that people have here are going to be because you get involved in this process. And finance people, like we need people that can understand spreadsheets, especially when Father James is the pastor, because he, you know, he'd go all googly-eyed when he looked at a spreadsheet. He'd be <laughs> he'd be turning the thing upside down, you know. But we need we need people that understand the the finances and how the finance influence the vision and the mission and are vision-oriented and, and understand the importance of the, the bottom line and balancing books, but also get the vision. And they're just not saying no to anything that doesn't make sense. And so, you know, I think St. Peter in, in his uh, first letter in the back part of the New Testament in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he, you know, because there's other places where it lists all the gifts, and he essentially says, well, if you've got a speech, speaking gift or if, you know, you're kind of behind the scenes, he doesn't get all detailed. He's just either you're public or you're kind of behind the scenes. Whatever it is, use it. And so you want to build people up in all, all areas and all capacities of your church. So one of the, we, we've got, um, we managed to get all the priests out of the room. <laughs> And uh, they're over there having a, I know they're having a great conversation about uh, the way that their leadership needs to be executed given their, their position. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about breaking open this notion of, of positional leadership uh, versus leadership. Because I, I think, you know, I opened by, by, by reminding everybody in the room that they are leaders. And so can we talk a little bit about what it's like to, to, to lead alongside a pastor, It's fun. <laughs> you didn't notice any hesitation there, did you? Um, it's really important. I'm struggling because I know some of you in this room are going to be invited to be on a senior leadership team, and some of you aren't. And how are you going to feel about that? You know, I remember when... You know, we were, again, we were really getting to a place of high level of toxicity, and it, and it was hard. And I remember one conversation I had with Father James. I was particularly frustrated, which happens quite often. And I was sitting in his office across from him, and at one point I just realized, Bud, like, who are your apostles? Like, you fly all over the world, you talk to these people, you come home, you get us to read a book, you get all us excited, we go in all these different directions. To me, none of them are adding up. Uh... Who are your apostles? Who's influencing you? And, of course, he was taken back. And he says, well, you're one of them. To which I said, then we have a problem because you don't invest anything in me. I mean, I, I know I make your life easier because I execute in this evangelization and discipleship, but you don't invest in me. So if I'm one of your disciples, I don't have any input on all these things you're telling everybody to do. We don't even talk about it. And uh, that was a part of a turning point. I mean, it just speaks to our dysfunction. We were dysfunctional. We were leading out of a model that should have died a long time ago. Our, our, our model, our structure did no, it didn't support our mission anymore. And I was feeling the pain of it. And um, I looked at him and I said, Father James, I'm telling you this because everything that's significant that ever happened happened out of a group of friends and people. It didn't, have a, it didn't happen out of a group of ideas. It happened out of a group of friendships. And I know we're friends, but we don't invest in each other. So let's not pretend that, you know, that's who we are. It's not who we are. And so I'm not saying that because it needs to be me, because I don't care if it's me. You need it. You need people on the ground here who you trust and respect and who love you, who can speak into you, and you'll let them. That's what you need. And it's not, it doesn't have to be me. I'm not lobbying for a place around the table. 
I love you. I love your mission. We're never going to get there if it's just you and you coming up with all these ideas and us creating havoc all the time. It's not working. And I meant it. Some of you aren't going to be invited on the senior leadership team. And I need you to be okay with that. I need you to care more about your pastor and what's in his best interest and the best interest of your mission than where you sit around a table. And I mean that. I, I've said, and I've even said to the team at Divine Renovation, the day that I'm no longer a part of the solution, I need you to tell me. Because our mission is bigger than my ego. I can go get a job somewhere else. And I, I'm begging you to have that level of flexibility. Like, you know, we were, we were coaching the other day into somebody new, and, um, and he was, we were talking about raising up others because it's the right thing to do. He said, well, I don't want to replace myself because if I raise up somebody better than me, I'm not going to be able to feed my family. Wrong answer. If your faith in God is that low, you're in the wrong position. We need to put the mission ahead of our ego. And that's what, yeah, amen. And it's scary. But we need to put our trust in God. If, if I'm no longer effective, like I stepped down from the senior leadership team at St. Benedict. You know, I sat with Father Simon. I said, Father Simon, I don't think you need me anymore. Because we have a new pastor. Father James stepped down. And, and so I was there for, for probably six months, maybe, Rob. And Rob's still on the senior leadership team, even though he works for Divine Renovation 80% of the time. But I said, Father Simon, you don't need me anymore. My gifts are probably going to be more problematic for you at this point. And the other people that we've raised up to be around the senior leadership team are a better fit for you. And I think it's time, I think it's time for, to stop. And um, we need to have that healthy disconnection with the seat we have at any table because we're not collecting a paycheck, my friends. We're changing the world. And if, and if I'm an obstacle to the impact we need to have to change the world, I need to be removed. And I mean that. And so anyway, that's why I pause on that. Because it has been fun, it has been impactful, but it's also been hard. But I'm not doing it for me. Being at the senior leadership team isn't a promotion. It's just another form of responsibility. Right. I think that in the, in the Divine Renovation Guidebook, it talks about, you know, how do you, how do you uh, build a, a senior leadership team? I mean, obviously, you find people who are passionate about the vision. Um, so hopefully everybody in here at the end of this, uh, these couple of days are, are passionate about a vision of a renewed parish. But then the pastor has to, using a tool like Strength Finder, would say, like, like Father Henry, all of his strengths are in relationship. And he doesn't have a strategic bone in his body. Um, so he had to say, I need people who have influencing, strategic, um, executing. That It really is just trying to find a balance of strengths to make him the best pastor possible. There might be somebody really talented, but they have a lot of relational strengths. And he just, that's not what he needs. So it's, it's, who does he need around him to be the best leader possible to help him make decisions? And it's not a promotion or it's not a demotion. It's just a, a certain role that you might do for six months or a year, and then somebody else might do it, you know? So not to get too hung up on that. I, I don't know if that's being 
you know, integrated. As and much. So Strengths Finder is one of the psychometrics we would use that helps to assess where, what, what the giftedness of a person is and how they, where they lean in terms of their personality types. And so the categories you're referring to are the ones that we would help use uh, to, to assess who should be on a senior leadership team to make sure there's a, a balance of some sort. What, what about you, Bill? What, what's your experience of, of this? So Father Ed, very, very gifted. And when you look at his strengths finder, uh, he's got the triumvirate of intellection, input. This, this means a whole lot to me, but it may not to you. <laughs> input, uh, uh, intellection, and uh, thinking, or uh, learner? learner. Yeah, learner. I think those are three great ones. for the Yeah, Rob has <laughs> got the same three. <laughs> he loves to learn. He loves to teach. He loves to gather information. He just collects it. He has, I believe it's six degrees. I may have lost track because he may have gotten another one here, right? And he just, that's, he just thrives on that. And, and because of that, he's a good preacher. Uh, he's very good with theology and explaining things. He's just wonderful. But, you know, some of the other areas... Uh, maybe not so strong. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I mean, we, we all, we all want to be, be using our gifts uh, well. And that's why we're given these gifts. And when we use them well, we bring a lot of life to the body and the situations that we're in. But there's actually a downside to a lot of these. And the leadership team is a really good, really any good collection of friends around you, uh, because they can be overused. So all this, all this great stuff from Father Ed, you know, like a new challenge or new something comes up, and he looks at it as like, wow, maybe I can learn something new from this, you know, and he starts analyzing and thinking, and, and, and meanwhile, you know, the life goes on, and at some point we say, well, Father Ed, we have to make a decision here, you know, and I, I'm talking about him, but we all have that. You know, we all have really great gifts that we bring to the table, but at the same time, there's always like blind spots that we have and being able to function as a leadership team of people like, like these guys are alluding to. It's, it's more than just, you know, the best and the brightest or something like that. It's complimentary gifts. It's people that Father Ed can really trust, that know that, that we really love him and are, are as much committed to the vision that he is. And so having people around you, it's just such a powerful thing. So then as you face these different challenges, you want to make good decisions, you want to have healthy debate, you're really discerning what the best thing is for our church. And, you know, praying and you're trusting each other, you're trusting the process, ultimately trusting the Lord, and you're in it together. And if, if you can do that and hold each other accountable, all those other things, you really got something really special. And you want to, and we're modeling it as an SLT. I mean, it's not easy to do some of this stuff. But this is the kind of thing that we're asking the other leaders in our parish, you know, people in our staff and our, you know, our uh, deacons and, you know, other people. That's, that, that brings life to our church. And we're, we're doing it ourselves, and we're trying to call other people to that as well. So. Go ahead. Well, it, it seems like a lot of pe 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 times in parish renewal, they, the idea of a, a leadership team, people get close but not don't take the full step. Like they, the priest ends up having a group of people around them who are kind of like their advisory team, kind of yes men or women. And, uh, and really, I think hopefully what Father James is speaking into is really shared leadership, yes. you know, which is like sharing the chariot, like, um, and really trusting and inviting this team around them. Um, so I think there, there's, um, I think once again, a lot that they, they, 
don't take the, the next step. Um, and obviously, like for us, as we make decisions and we feel the freedom to be totally honest with, with Father Henry and be, speak openly. Just, the, you know, for us, obviously, to, to be bold and to step forward and to, and to call him on. Um, Love. And with yeah. other people, too. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about being a coach. To be honest with you, it's really hard. One of the things I notice coaching into churches is you've been together a long period of time, and a lot of people don't know how to speak to priests. You're afraid you're going to go to hell if you disagree or something or, or if you get angry. And, um, and I don't think that's the case. Uh, is it, Rob? Just, that's not in Scripture. That's, uh, and so, yeah. Um, but as a coach, one of the things that I can see into these groups that I coach into, I can see dysfunction a mile away. I can see distrust a mile away. And so, you know, I think that day with you guys, I think I actually literally left I went upstairs to the chapel and said, I'm going to play. You guys have some elephants in the room, and you guys got to figure, so you guys got to get the courage to talk about it. I'm leaving. And I literally went upstairs to pray because these guys had some issues. And I didn't know what they were because I'm not there. And it's the same thing in your church. You know, maybe, you know, your pastor's been behaving a particular way for years and years and years because they can get away with it. But we don't let people get away with it anymore because we can't let each other get away with parts of our behaviors that are dysfunctional. And so as a coach, yeah. So for us as coaches, we get to see it and then open up a difficult conversation. It's probably easier for us to do it because then we get to shut off the computer and you guys have to stay there. But, but, but it'd be harder for you to start that conversation. But once we develop a culture of having those crucial conversations, you actually don't need us to have those anymore. You're having them on your own. And then when we check in with the churches, they're telling us all these fireworks that went off and these great conversations they had. And we go, wicked. That's what we're talking about. Way to go. Can I share yeah. this? Yeah, I, I had a, just to reaffirm uh, that point, I, I had an email from a woman this week, and she said, Bill, all the time that I've been in my parish, been like six or eight years, uh, she's a member of the staff. It was a staff meeting thing that I was involved with. She said, we've never been able to talk about this issue before. Had you not been there, we wouldn't have been able to talk about it. So I mean, that's the beauty of being a coach and being outside of right. it. But once this beauty of this team, seeing this happen, once they started talking about it, it was a mess. I mean, they really got into it. But guess what? It was like the elephant in the room that had been there for years. It was like this big burden on everybody's shoulders that they just tried to avoid. They were like on tiptoes. But now they were able to talk about it and bring it to resolution and begin to move forward as a parish. What a great thing. So, yeah. I'd just like to say uh, I've been in the room with both Ron and Father James, and the conversations pretty much go the way Ron described them. And so, <laughs> Well, what did you learn, Rob? Because I remember you saying to me, like, like, yeah, what was that like for you being in that room when we're duking it out? Yeah, I mean, originally, and, and you know, again, I, I led, uh, leading in the senior leadership team was a new context for me. And so as we're talking about healthy culture and all that sort of stuff, and I'd read all the books, and yeah, 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 okay, cool, cool. Let's get on and, you know, <laughs> let's, let's start making stuff happen. And uh, then, you know, I would say you're the one that made it safe for the rest of us, because there was four of us. There was myself, Ron, Father James, and then Kate, our director of communication. She was on the team with, with us as well. And, um, you know, and I would say, Ron, you modeled 
that, well, you and Father James, because if Father James had shut you down or, you know, kicked you out of the room or, you know, that just would have ruined it, you know. But, but you know, when I saw that, that you spoke into him and challenged him and he responded to it well, you know, that made it safe. Uh, because if, it, if, if, if it's not going to be safe, no one's going to do it from that standpoint, right? And so, it, you know, so you, if you'd challenged him and Father James had, you know, ignored you, or told you to shut up, or just said, I'm the priest, and you'll do what I tell you, you know, that would have, that would have, you know, shut it right down. I don't imagine you would have taken that, but, you know, he would have, <laughs> that, that would have been the dynamic, and so I remember thinking, okay, this is actually going to be a thing here, you know, and my personality is different from Ron's, and so when I challenge, it probably looks a little bit different, but I remember the first couple of times when, when, you know, we had to speak into Father James, and I remember, you know, you know, Yes, I agree with what they're saying, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, because I, 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 you know, I'm probably the most conflict-avoidant person, you know, on the senior leadership team. And, but it is important, and you do have to be willing to go to those places. And it takes courage. You know, it takes, it takes courage from that standpoint. You know, I think a lot of times, if we're honest, we don't want to challenge the other person because we don't want to be challenged. And I think if we think to ourselves, well, if I never challenge him, then that's going to create this unwritten rule that you don't say anything to me. I think we have to be, be willing to step into the awkward conversations when we're giving them and when we're receiving them. Well, you guys have already started talking a little bit about culture, and I just wanted to touch on it a little bit, uh, because we've done a lot of, of, of traveling, and often what will happen, even, even when we do a culture talk, someone will come up and say, hey, Dan, uh, I'm trying to get the culture of my parish changed, so I bought Father James's book. And uh, I left it on my pastor's desk. <laughs> what else do you recommend? <laughs> now, it's a good book, but it's unlikely in and of itself to completely transform the culture of your parish. I, I, just, I would love to speak ever so briefly about what, what you see in terms of the elements of cultural change. What to bring it about if you're a layperson and you see you need to change? It really is pastor-led unfortunately. And I'm not saying that because, oh, that damn church, and when are we ever going to change? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's a reality. And, and I've lived in the pain of being poorly led multiple times in churches, actually most of my life. And I know what that feels like. And it's hard. And so I don't know. We can't do it around the priest. But maybe if we start evangelizing, oh, everything starts with evangelization. It's not behavior shift we're looking for. It's a transformation of the heart that we're looking for. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. And so maybe if you start evangelizing using a tool like Alpha or, or Christ Life, or maybe you have another one, um, and continuing to invite your pastor into that, because it's God that has to do the work, or maybe it's a relationship you have. Because here's the thing. Not all of us, like we, again, we judge ourselves on our intent, but others judge us on our impact. For some of us in this room, you're probably a pain in the butt to your pastor and you don't know it. And so you think your, your ideas are good and, and they should listen and why aren't they listening? But it's because you actually annoy them and they don't have the heart to tell you. And, and so you might actually not be the person to actually have that conversation and you don't know it yet. That's fair, right? And it's probably not you, but you know other people like that. 
And so it might not, you might not be the person that will reach that person. And so think, be wise. Who influences your pastor? Go have a coffee with that person. It might not be you. And if you just keep speaking louder and slower, <laughs> you're not going to have influence. You're going to make yourself irrelevant. So think about who that person connects with and try to influence the influencers. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs>